Hello and welcome to the Motion E podcast. I'm Stuart Garlick and on this edition of the podcast we'll be talking about Pure ETCR, the new electric racing series featuring touring cars, which has really launched and taken off in a big way in 2021. Uh, I was invited to go to Copenhagen to the classic racing festival there to see the latest round of Pure ETCR. And while I was there, I spoke to Hyundai Works driver Augusto Farfus about his impressions. Um, I also speak to Neil Hudson, uh, motorsport journalist and touring car PR man, about his views on uh, touring car racing and on ETCR in particular at the moment. So you'll hear from Neil first of all, and then you'll hear from Augusto Farfus. Neil Hudson, uh, thank you for coming on the Motion E podcast. Uh, how are you doing today and uh, where do I find you? Uh, I'm doing good and you can find me pretty much on Twitter. It's usually where I waffle a bit and at Neil Hudson. Um, yeah, and well, it's I, my website and all that from there. I actually meant whereabouts in the world are you today, but uh, that, that'll do Whoa. anyway. <laughs> I thought that's the whereabouts in the world. Don't care. Everyone works from a digital place these days, don't they? Ah, in the world, okay. I'm, I'm in the UK this time. I think I was in Canada the last time we spoke. But, uh, I think you were, yeah. yeah. Used to have holidays back then. but uh, Yeah, it's, it, it feels like a, it feels amazing that the last time we spoke was pre-pandemic, actually. Yeah. Just um, about, just kicking off somewhere at the time, I think, so... Um, yeah, it, it it was also it was also pre um, uh, ETCR releasing um, their their series rules package and uh, and uh, launch it launching the uh, the format that they came up with and uh, that's really what I, what I wanted to talk to you about today because um, I was lucky enough last weekend to be asked if I'd like to come to see uh, pure ETCR racing in Copenhagen. And um, it was lots of fun. Uh, went to the Copenhagen Historic, Ra- uh, sorry, Classic Racing Festival, and um, of which Pure TCR was part. Um, also saw the Danish TCR Touring Car Championship, which was uh, bags of fun, unless you were Jan Magnussen. Um, and yeah, great weekend all in all. But uh, Pure TCR strikes me as um, something that is a great startup idea and is going to be good eventually. But uh, um, I, I felt that they made the best that they could out of having um, three different kinds of cars, six cars in total um, on the grid. Um, what do you think of their format, first of all, Neil? Um, yeah, so I, as you say, it's, it's the number of cars, three different types of cars and only six cars. And, I, you know, Pure ETCR, which is the uh, sort of Eurosport events run part of uh, the series, has done a great job in terms of making a six car championship a championship. You know, you have 12 professional drivers effectively driving those six cars in a sort of, uh, you say the format is quite um, special in that you have a sort of various heats both uh, two cars fighting each other then three cars fighting each other and then a pair of finals on the sunday with six car races two six car races um and now by having those smaller races you'll be able to sort of spread the, the love a little bit more in terms of making sure there's, there's more action and there's lots of drivers racing each other and you have a championship that has six 12 drivers by utilizing the fact that you know it's early days for etcr there are only six cars um you in development able to race at the moment so this year is very much the, the way they position it is it's a learning year and a showcase year of the concept and the technology and i think they've made it sort of work with 
with that quite severe limitation, you know, other championships say, I've got six cars, that's the end of the championship. But this is a starting point rather than a finishing point, I guess. Yeah, and um, they they have uh, these battle rounds, and um, they they uh, start start behind sort of uh, horse racing style gates, really, or rallycross style gates, and uh, it um, makes it look a lot more interesting on television. I, I I was I was impressed with how they dealt with those limitations and uh, uh, what they what they chose to do differently. Um, the problem that I could see uh, as as a first time spectator of this series was that. Um, if you if you've got uh, a battle between two different cars and uh, the driver knows that uh, their teammate in in the manufacturer team will have to use that car later um it it seems that quite often they're more they're more willing to hold their horses and bring the car home than they are to uh, engage in you know um what you might call typical touring car style contact Possibly. I saw some interesting points on that the weekend. I guess, yeah, you've got your pool A drivers and those cars are all going to be used by pool B shortly afterwards and they can't risk writing off the car, certainly. Um, but I suppose Luca Filippi didn't really seem to care when he smashed his way through past Matthias Extra at the end of the pool A battle. So, yeah, I think that will become perhaps a factor nearer the end of the year, certainly. I think there's certainly a risk of, you know, they have to remember that that car is being reused and writing one off might be a problem for your teammate, especially if he's in the fight for the title. I think maybe I did see the Cooper battle. It did seem that uh, there was a two-car heat. The draw just happened to put two Coopers against each other and there wasn't a particularly tough battle between the two. as Mattis Ekstrom and Daniel Nage, if I recall. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, and the two the two car battles do have limitations. We saw one in, um, I think, Aragon the last round where one of the cars broke down on the way to the grid. Um, uh, you know, these things happen. These are new cars, um, but that also meant that you therefore had a heat that had one car. Um, it still had to do the race because AYV broke down. But uh, you know, you have to, it's a race. He has to finish his race, but it meant it was one car going around for three laps on his own. But these are sort of the perils of the format, I guess. Hmm. Um, and uh, it, it you, you mentioned Daniel Nage, and uh, it, it, what was interesting over the weekend for me was that uh, it, it gave drivers like Daniel Nage, who is uh, relatively unheralded, say um, uh, next to you know former DTM and World Rallycross champion Matthias Ekstrom, um, a chance to really shine. And um, I, I don't think he would have got that as you know number four or number five driver in a DTM manufacturer team under team orders. Um, um, in 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 say the old DTM or or as you know um, uh, th- third driver out of four in a touring car super team in WTCR. So it, in in a way, this new format uh, has had the unexpected consequence of allowing a few young drivers to really shine through. Um, would uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, this is the sort of thing with, with the purity star and its 12 driver thing. It's brought in a few young talents at the back. Uh, Daniel Nage, who's been in weltering cars for a few years, and John Filippi at uh, Hyundai, who had a great season in the TCR Europe Series last year. He finished second driving for Hyundai, and that's been recognised by Hyundai, and they've brought him on board. So you've got some names that people aren't familiar with uh, who are coming up the touring car ladder, uh, able to sort of rubber wheels and then you've got a lot of pros um you say Mattis Ekstrom Hordy Janay who's been with Sayat slash Cooper since I think 2003 who's developed every car they've built um and he had a good race the weekend as well so you've got Mm. all this kind of which you often see in touring cars you get the young talent coming up 
and you've still got the old favourites. And you know, it's not like Formula One old favourites where we're talking Kimi Raikkonen who started in two thousand and one or whatever. These are touring car old favourites still from the mid early nineties, still racing. Um, so. Um, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, actually, you know, Jordi Genet, who uh, I, I remember racing in the 1991 Formula 3000 championship, um, he, um, he he seems like a veteran. But of course, in the other touring car championships, uh, well, I believe Gabriele Tarquini, age 60, is taking part in uh, the WTCR again this season. And um, he, he was in Formula One in 1988. So it's amazing to think, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it's it's a category where you can still perform, and it, it's not even like Gabriele Tarquini isn't doing a great job. He's winning races this year. He was a champion only three years ago. Um, so touring cars does seem to be a category which al- allows you to carry on racing past your Formula One days and past your sports car days, and and still compete competitively. And uh, and the experience you've got seems to be more important to touring car racing. So you see Mattis Ekstrom leading the charge of the development. At Cooper along with uh, Janae and then you've got Hyundai boy in Augusto Farfus not quite 90s level um, but he's you know he's been racing touring cars since the early 21st century um, so yeah there's a lot of experience there against younger guys who are keeping them on their toes it's, it's nice to him I think and uh, Matthias Ekstrom seems to be really enjoying it as well. Uh, he said in an interview uh, that um, he 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 thought that they that they had a great product, but he wanted to, wanted to see Audi, BMW, and Mercedes next season. Now he he might be aiming a little bit high, but the chances are that they will get uh, maybe one or two extra manufacturers. Uh, it seems. Um, do you think they need that pure ETCR in order to step up to the next level? Uh, what, what else would you like to see them uh, do to build on what they've got this season? In terms of the manufacturers, I think the ETCR as a general concept, which is further than pure ETCR, will need and will be bringing in manufacturers unquestionably. Um, I think already Lisheng Racing in China, they haven't announced the car model, will be bringing a brand in. Um, obviously COVID and everything has kind of slowed things up that go that take place in Asia already, but uh, that will be something that follows. And then as, as Matt is kind of hints, maybe he's hinting, maybe he's hoping, but Audi Mercedes, I mean Audi effectively, if you look at the way TCR has worked for Cupra, they develop and build the Audi model. Um, so they may do the same thing and bring Audi into ETCR as well. Um, and as a growing championship, pure ETCR is technically, this is the first and last year of pure ETCR because next year it's already going to become the FAA E-Touring Car Cup. Uh, that's already been given to Eurosport as the new championship to run. So it, this year is a development year for that series to launch into an FIA standard next year. So it'll become far more sort of recognised and... Uh, official um and increase its standing in sort of the motorsport landscape hmm. um one of the uh kind of paradoxes which which i which i noticed over the weekend was that um uh everyone was was uh, very keen to stress that you know whereas formula e is meant to be a technology formula this is meant to be a product formula that that's that's why that's why the silhouettes of the cars look very different that's that's why the uh um the the powertrains are control powertrains etc etc uh and 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 that's why the only people with the key to the battery software are williams advanced engineering who who check them all uh, rigorously but um 
the thing is that as as we talked about uh, when we when we talked about the series in its infancy uh, two years ago now, um, you've got three models there: the Hyundai Veloster, the um, uh, Cupra um, uh, Leon, and the um, uh, um, I, I've got to call it the Julia by Romeo Ferraris because it's not an Alpha. Um, and and everyone was telling me telling me don't call it an Alpha, so I'm not calling it an Alpha. But um, uh, so those three cars are not available on the road in electric versions, and yet it's a product formula. So. Uh, the, the the trouble the trouble again is that uh, people aren't uh, buying cars uh, in electric form that would make great touring cars. They're buying crossovers. So, what's the future in terms of the model variant that people use? Do you think? Yeah, that's an interesting point. I guess the hope will be that the reality is everyone buys SUVs, as you say. So, when are the electric? the manufacturers coming with electric cars they've gone for the models that are selling yeah um but we have seen and obviously they also get with the tesla more like uh, coupe and saloon type exec cars and those would be pretty good um for touring cars so you already have some bmwi it might be a bit too much um but um <laughs> the point is that, that the electric car range will expand to include them all and you know eventually it shouldn't be too long before the hatchback and the small saloon market which is ideal for touring cars There'll be electrified models as well. So, yeah, I mean, the Cupra hasn't isn't yet producing an electric Leon. It's producing, was it the Elborn, which is more like a B segment Fiesta, slash a Beta size car, isn't it? And then uh, Hyundai yet doesn't have uh, the electric cars they have are like the Kona, um, as you say, SUVs. But the Velosters or the i30s or the Lanchers will come um, very soon, and they'll be there within a few years. Um, a question but for now uh you race your cars you have i suppose and, and they're the right models they have they have velosters that it's a good aero shape the veloster is a very strong tcr car um, mm -hmm. the leon very popular history with uh, touring cars already so it's a good brand to sort of move you into and the julie just looks like the thing that most people say about the not alfa romeo that is an alfa romeo that isn't an alfa romeo julia it's, it just looks awesome it's you know what everyone wants from a touring car they all love their they're old D segments from the 90s. You know, we want a big saloon touring car, and there it is. And it just won both races in Copenhagen, and it's nice to see. So, yeah, and when Alfa Romeo, if they do join the series properly, you know, Alfa Romeo will have electric models soon. It'll get there. Yeah, it was really nice to see an electric series uh, starting up in its first season and to, to be able to come in with 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 an outsider perspective, not normally watching the races and uh, to to be able to learn about it um, on on the fly really. I I I'd done I'd done some research beforehand, but uh, you know, see, seeing the teams at work, you get a different perspective and uh, the team that I sort of adopted as a kind of a favorite over the weekend or a a, a, a kind kind of an unspoken favorite was uh, Romeo Ferraris because uh, they um, they're, they're the only really independent team there. Obviously, Zengo Motorsport work with work with Cupra, and although they don't talk about it, Sebastian Loeb Motorsport work with Hyundai. But uh, Romeo Ferraris uh, don't have any manufacturer backing from Alpha, and they're working independently. And um, they they just seem to have that uh, very Italian personality, which comes through in the way that they deal with people, in 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 the way that they you know take take care of their drivers and the media 
media and also their their fantastic espresso uh, in the garage as well so um every, everything just seemed really to uh, show off a kind of a unique character that you maybe don't get with the uk and uh, central european based teams and i i really liked the way that they went about their racing but any thoughts on romeo ferraris on um, on on the on the way that they've handled this season and the way that they the way that they've taken taken to racing elsewhere yeah, I mean, as you say, I mean, reality is that they're the underdog, aren't they? You've got Hyundai and Cooper with their sort of the big marketing budgets behind it, um, producing and trying to sell uh, fantastic models. Uh, whereas Romeo Ferraris aren't being pushed by an Alfa Romeo electric drive; they're being pushed by the fact that they want to go racing. Um, and uh, yeah, they've done a fantastic job in TCR, where they produce uh, the Giulietta TCR. They are the most successful independent team uh, that produce TCR cars everywhere else whoever produces one has manufacturer support in some fashion but the Giulietta has been highly successful I mean last year it finished second uh, no sorry to finish third eventually in the World uh, Cup driver standings um, the fantastic effort and that driver has been snatched up by Hyundai Jean-Claude Vernet with the, the Hyundai program this year um, yeah and, and uh, you, know, you can't really fault that the Italian coffee I know is a very famous uh, <laughs> very popular <laughs> drink around the paddock as well keeping everyone awake on those late nights and also uh, Romeo Ferraris worked with a, a professional race team as well called Mira um, Hungarian team actually as well so there's a good chunk of engineers and drivers who uh, used to work with uh, both Hyundai and Honda in the past so yeah they have a good technical base there to to bring a program against uh, those manufacturers and as you also saw the weekend bring in Philip Eng seemed to be a, an inspired choice given he turned up and won his first race mm. um and Luca Filippi, you know, Italian star of the past, and um, on that probably the best best show with that squeeze at the end to snatch the win off Extrem. Didn't think anyone saw that coming, especially with the street race being particularly tricky for ETCR cars. But yeah, um, yeah, um, and um, it, I, I don't think uh, I don't think they expected a double win um, at the weekend, but that 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 was that was what they got at least in the two in the two super finals. Um, the the super finals were definitely the most exciting part of the weekend. Um, see, seeing all six cars on track and uh, seeing people really willing to battle it out because they knew they didn't have any other racing action later that weekend. It, it made it more fun. Although, I I think the team definitely had their hearts in their mouths when they saw Luca Filippi, like you say, go for that gap. Um, uh, the situation for anyone who didn't see it uh, was that uh, Matthias Ekstrom left literally a car width between himself and the wall going into the last corner, and Luca Filippi went for went for that gap. And um, um, the the teams uh, uh, the the team were asked after the race, uh, "What's the damage?" and and they and they said um, all four corners because all the wheels are buckled. So kind of amazing that they got that car out for the following super final but they did and um in, indeed philip eng won that one so yeah great choice to get philip eng in um he, he's he's still a, a bmw manufacturer driver but he's he's on loan and well what a good signing um he took the best qualifying time um of the weekend as well in the time trials um but uh luca philippi yeah definitely what what a move um how do you rate luca Filippi as a driver because obviously he bombed at neo uh, in uh, formula e season four but 
that was that was at a time when Neo was struggling as a team. Um, do you think that he was done dirty by that season? And does this show he's a much better driver than maybe Formula E fans might have thought? It's, it's very difficult sometimes to, when you compare drivers. They sort of they move across series. I mean, you find some drivers excel in touring cars. I mean, generally most touring cars succeeding drivers of of failed single seater drivers if that's the more extreme term than I, I like really but um you often find that they find that kind of racing more suited to them perhaps as an element of it it's more door-to-door and less aero i mean there's still a lot of sort of setup work and everything to get these cars to work but uh i think it's just more of a factor of sometimes you can just take a driver out of one environment that didn't work for them sometimes it could be the series sometimes it could be the team um and just pop them somewhere else and they suddenly excel. Um, and Luca Felipe has been doing touring cars now for a couple of years. I think he joined two years ago. He started with Hyundai in the European series and last year joined Romeo Ferraris uh, to support their world touring car program. Um, and yeah, they've, they've clearly rewarded him with uh, with this program, which probably suits him a bit more. The same thing as we say with Mattis Sextrum, rear wheel drive, um, powerful cars. Uh, is pretty much his background in terms of uh, you know racing series he's done before, and so far it seems to be working very well for him, and he seems to be having a a good time. Yeah, and uh, with with Ekstrom, uh, having a good time seems to be the main thing in life these days. It, it's kind of like um, having having been in been in the Audi sort of uh, studio star system, as it were, in 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 DTM, and having having been under team orders for all those years. He he kind of seems to just be happy to race cars that he wants to race uh in extreme obviously that uh, that um caters to his uh, his his rallycross uh, heritage but uh, th- this is uh, th- this is a big adaptation. Um, I I would imagine. I mean, if if you're if you're spending half your season in off road racing and the other half in circuit racing, that's got to be pretty difficult. Uh, it, it it must be like well, literally typing on two different computers. I would I would imagine, or um, you know, spending half your time typing on a mechanical keyboard and the rest of your time typing typing on a on a cloth keyboard. It's it's just a completely different skill, isn't it? It's an impressive skill set to have, I and mean, we've seen others like uh, Johan Christophsen does the same. He switches easily. He's a, people forget he's a he was a touring car champion before he was a rallycross champion, um, and he's gone back to touring cars. And he's gone back to rallycross, and Ekstrom's the same. Um, they seem to just maybe it's more of a Scandinavian thing, but they seem to be brought up to do rallycross style events, and then also to turn their hand at circuit racing, and sometimes excel at that too. And uh, yeah, I think Ekstrom is doing a fantastic job. And as you say, he's, he's really enjoying it. And I guess after a very long period working in the DTM, which is a very focused, very sort of uh, step-by-step kind of championship, to be working in other series and with a manufacturer like Cupra, it's probably a, a bit of a refreshing change for him. But at the same time, he's, I think he's still got his Audi commitments. He's uh, racing in the in a Dakar program next year. Um, so Yeah, I think so. So yeah, I think he's... Uh, He's very much part of the sort of the Volkswagen Group family, as it is really with Audi and Cooper. So, yeah. Um, obviously, this is a bit outside outside your beat, but it's it's worth asking anyway. Um, it's been mentioned that some people think that uh, the new electric category in the in in the Dakar in 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 the FIA cross country series is 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 designed to sort of be an extreme e killer. Do you, do you think that uh, extreme e as it is um, can uh, can survive alongside an FIA mandated electric series? Uh 
So this is going to also fill into the cross-country rally series then, isn't it, as well as the Dakar mm. um, and Extreme E doing long... But Extreme E have done a fantastic job in terms of building up a new product quite quickly. And they spent a lot of, you know, uh, with the uh, same guys of Formula E producing it. Um, they knew how to produce a product. Um, is there room for both? Probably, certainly. You know, I mean, reality is, you, know, you look at petrol-based motorsport, there's tons of the stuff around at the moment, and there seems to be enough room for everyone. So... Whether it's a killer, whether you end up sort of eventually moving to a shared platform or these kind of things, you see this mostly in motorsport where that kind of progress happens. Um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. But I think, you know, I can only really talk about Extreme Extreme E having seen it earlier this year. And, uh, you know, it's come in with a, a good concept. Um, there are some bugs here and there, just as you've seen with uh, any new series, and they need to refine the way the races work. But uh, they've got a fantastic sort of product to watch tv show um and again it's about who you've got you've got fantastic manufacturers and teams and you still have cooper involved in that don't we so um and mm. uh, the drivers again extreme and a whole host of fantastic drivers yeah definitely De- definitely um and, and um a, a word about a word about philip eng as well because uh, he replaced uh, stefano coletti for this race and for the rest of the season um coletti not a bad driver but it wasn't working out for him in pure etcr and philip eng comes straight in and um seems to bring a bit of focus to that seat because uh, obviously he he got the fastest time of the weekend but uh, he also got a win in that um super final is it just a case of there being there being levels of quality and uh someone of philip eng's quality obviously he's still contracted to bmw and he's he's still driving in all kinds of series for them but uh, is it is it just a question of bringing in that extra level of quality on loan and him making the difference and it could certainly be that uh um, another factor I'm thinking is if you look at it, you've got your extra with his DTM sort of focus from the Audi program, and you've got uh, Augusto Farfus. You know, he's also a BMW contracted driver, mm. and he's uh, racing for Hyundai. Uh, and I think it's that kind of approach and mindset that kind of seems to be working for those two teams. And maybe Romeo Ferrari spotted, hey, we need one of these guys. Um, you know, uh, Stefano Coletti comes from a different background, uh, maybe wasn't bringing that element to the team that. Philip Heng has clearly shown straight off, and I think it's that perhaps that dynamic that you know you haven't got a lot of time to set up the car. You get a short amount of practice sessions, and you're straight into heat racing. Um, yeah, you've got to do a lot in a very short period of time, and uh, you know you can't fault BMW Motorsport and Audi Sport um, having have that nailed on the head after their many years. You know, the DTM program is has been at least up till now the, the sort of one of the top manufacturer touring car programs globally um and it produces fantastic drivers yeah um hyundai and cupra have uh, pretty much made touring car racing their their or at least tcr racing their their, their own in recent years haven't they uh well a, a, along with uh, a, along with chinese manufacturers like lincoln co obviously but um which, which one would you, which one would you say has the upper hand in the petrol tcr series this season uh, hyundai or cupra um, so Hyundai have come with a new car this year, with the new Elantra. Um, it's an interesting model since it's not a globally available model. Um, but as you see with TCR and WTCR, uh, the three box saloon shape has come back. Um, everyone seems to have one. Uh, 
the Audi's RS3 was already a saloon. Um, the Lincoln Go 03 was a saloon. Um, Cupra's the only one that doesn't. Cupra's not been having as great a year in TCR, WTCR, sorry, um, as much as it has been having in maybe the National Series, where it's basically leading the European Series by quite some way. But WTCR has not been quite what they expected, I suspect. Um, but then you, it, it's not just about the car. It's about the teams that run in the car, about the drivers they sign. Um, and Hyundai have this new car. They have uh, BRC and Engstrom Motorsport. John Carver and A, they've snatched off of um, Alfa Romeo, as I said before, so Romeo Ferraris, rather. And he's leading the championship charge for them. Um, they're, they're on fire in the championship after, two, after a tough year uh, last year. Um, but uh, two championships on a row, bad 2020, and now Hyundai certainly are leading the way in WTCR. But what we see with TCR is any national series or regional series, a decent team and a decent driver lineup, decent you know mechanics and engineers you bring in, you can turn any of these cars around. They're all balanced. Um, so where you see Cooper maybe struggling just with what it's got in WTCR, they're leading the European series, having a good job in the Italian one, they're leading the Swedish, sorry Scandinavian. Um, oh, they were leading the Danish up until crashing a car out in the first round mm-hmm. at uh, Copenhagen. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's a fantastic sort of flat formula. Any car can work. Um, yeah. The program and uh, you, 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 you mentioned John Carvernet and uh, you, you've, you've mentioned Augusto Farfus as well. Um, I, I, I spoke to Augusto Farfus and uh, that, that'll be the interview that we hear um, after this bit on the podcast. Um Obviously, he's had a great career. Uh, He rose to public prominence, really, uh, or at least global prominence, when he challenged Andy Prio and Jörg Müller um, in the um, uh, World Touring Car Championship uh, in in a several years old Alpha 156. Um, I guess that really showed his true quality. But um, how has it manifested itself over the years? Um, where, where do you put him in terms of uh, uh, the league table of uh, top touring car drivers these days? It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because, yeah, Augusto Farfus was, was, was a giant killer in, in the noughties um, with the, the Alfa Romeo. Um, and he got snatched up by BMW in world touring cars um, alongside Andy Prio. Uh, he never won the title. Um, Andy Prio was still just ahead. But when Farfa switched to DTM along with Prio and BMW left World Touring Car Championship, Farfa jumped ahead. Um, uh, again, didn't win a title in DTM, but he was. It, it seemed to be a fantastic place for him to grow and develop, and then also move into sports car racing, where he's become a sort of stable of that. And although he came back into World Touring Cars a couple of years ago, it was a sort of a mixed program for him, and it didn't quite seem to be what he was up for. I think, which is why. He, the Hyundai things worked nicely for him because he's then joined their electric program instead. And said, well, that's more what I need to be doing, less these little squirty front-wheel drive TCR cars. So <laughs> it's it's difficult when you rate touring car drivers when you look across those categories because you've got DTM, which a lot of people don't quite equate as a touring car championship. Certainly now, it is no longer a touring car championship. It's a GT3 championship. But um, it, it's completely different, you know, so almost prototype style cars centrally seated rear you know rear wheel drive um cars versus what you have in other touring car categories and it'd be difficult to compare your mattis extremes and your var mullers given they're we're racing different types of touring cars um but yeah he's a top edge driver bringing fantastic sort of development skills um he brought the hyundai on massively but 
I'd probably take him to win this championship to prove he's the top touring car driver because he hasn't really got that accolade behind him yet, has he? So, hmm. um, and um, are are there are there any drivers that uh, you you think would be ideally suited to ETCR or pure ETCR next next year if uh, if 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 there is if there is movement in the driver market there, maybe a, maybe a young star of the future that you think could stand out like Daniel Nage or perhaps an older driver who you think would have fun in that formula? Again, it's sort of it, because when you look at this year's grid, you've got a strange mix of drivers um, from different disciplines. So you say Farfus and, uh, and Nage and John Felipe have come up through the, uh, the TCR ranks and Tom Chilton, who's... <laughs> Seems to be very young, but it's been racing touring cars for about twenty years. Um, BTCC and WTCC. Independent I, I still, I still think Tom Chilton is twenty. By the way, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's not. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's it's difficult because then you look at the uh, Romeo Ferraris team, and they have Philip Eng was probably their first touring car driver that they brought in. Philip he didn't come from a touring car background. Um, Coletti didn't. Uh, Ollie Webb. GC driver. Um, um, it looks like any anything can work. Um, it's, it's sort of a new formula. They're trying to work out who's best suited for this. I think you kind of look at actually sports car drivers and your touring car drivers who are able to adapt. I don't know if just a, someone who is an expert on a front-wheel drive TCR car is the exact fit for T- ETCR. Um, they need to have sort of learned it too or learned something similar. So it is difficult. I mean, I think you really look at like we've seen DTM and GT is probably where you would get your ETCR drivers from. But that you shouldn't rule out some of these fantastic WTCR and TCR drivers who will easily be able to make the transition. But uh, and they... just just briefly, what's what's the future with DTM? Because obviously it's not it's not a series that you're that you're laser focused on. Uh, your focus is mostly on on TCR, um, but. Uh, it's it's obviously transitioned to GT3 this season um, as as a kind of a temporary fix because they lost their manufacturers. But um, the the long term focus is apparently for DTM to go electric. But still, still there are no concrete plans, or at least there's there's been no launch of those plans yet publicly. Um, what's happening there, and what might happen in the future, and uh, should we care about it? Well. Uh- DCM has a lot of heritage behind it. It is Germany's top uh, sort of tin top racing series. And uh, yeah, we were covering it for some years. And it has been with Audi and BMW Mercedes. You know, in the last 10 years, we've had some fantastic racing in that championship and full pro grids of drivers. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, suddenly what you sometimes see is a little wobble when you've only got three manufacturers you lose one and then you lose the second you're in trouble you're down to a one manufacturer series and it didn't plan i think for what's happened this year um to only have which was going to have what it was going to have left was bmw um so it had to kind of fix and the fix has been well gt3 like you know when you look at these audi r8 some mercedes amg gt3 cars and the bmw uh m6 and then come coming m40 uh, gt three cars they look very close to you know touring cars except they're gt cars um the ferraris are a little bit of a, an outlier on that grid i'd find <laughs> but um it, it's still a polished grid and it's got a good set of drivers and i think what it's trying to do is hold itself into as you say then redevelop and go okay the future's electric we need a dtm electric car that's the only way we're going to get the manufacturers back in anyway 
which is true. Um, so they need to develop that program whilst keeping the series alive with a sort of progressive and interesting GT3 based program. And they're taking the GT3 cars and applying it to their format. It's not all GT3 racing elsewhere is uh, sort of pro driver and driver swapping cars midway through a race. Whereas DTM is still no one race, one guy in the car, puts new tires on and carries on. Um, and so far, you know, they're showing, they're showing a good series. Um, it's just with that hold long enough for them to get their electric formula launched. Yeah. And um, uh, just finally, it's probably worth clearing up something you said earlier because you, you, you were explaining that ETCR is, is not just pure ETCR. So pure ETCR is the name of the series being promoted by Eurosport events that I went to see at the weekend. Um, but what is the difference between talking about that and talking about ETCR more generally? And is the idea ultimately to see lots of regional ETCR series? Exactly that. So ETCR is the technical sort of regulation as it stands at the moment, uh, which is owned by WSC Group, who invented the TCR concepts uh, in 2000, 2014. Um, and their plan is to do the same thing as they done with TCR. So if, so if the TCR has been given to Eurosport events to promote as the World Touring Car Cup, WTCR, uh, there are plans, and there have already been some plans announced to launch European and Asian-based series later next year. See, the first thing we need to do is get the sort of product there polished and more cars built um, so it becomes an affordable model for sort of national and regional series to pick up and that's when you'll lead to the worlds of sort of national dealers putting the money in to invest into programs that promote uh, electric racing in their home markets so that is sort of the end goal is to have ETCR cars become the sort of de facto touring car model and as you also, uh, so we said earlier, really, really, pure ETCR becomes the FIA e-touring car cup next year. So that will become the showcase series, the top of the ladder in terms of electric touring car racing, an FIA grade championship promoted by Eurosport using WSC's ETCR cars. It should be um, a nice step up. And um, uh, lo looking at the number of Chinese manufacturers that are going all electric or mostly electric, uh, that that uh, that that TCR or ETCR rules package has has got to be appealing, surely, for a, for a Pan Asian or Chinese uh, ETCR championship. Do, do you think that's conceivable in the near future? Absolutely, and also the fact that unlike TCR, which is more based on the manufacturer building up sort of their hot hatch or sort of road model and turning it into a to a touring car, ETCR is slightly different, as you said earlier. Formula E. It's a similar model. You've got a shape of a car. The manufacturer's involved in running the program and bringing their sort of look to it. But it's using a Williams battery. It's a Magalek, Magalek uh, components. Um, it's going to be fairly easy for other manufacturers to come in and put their product on the racetrack. Um, so those Chinese manufacturers, I don't name any because I don't really know which ones are involved. You've got... Um, Zika, which I think is a Lincoln Co. sort of brand, um, being promoted as the electric model. We have Polestar, which is also owned by Geely Group, um, could be ones that come in. Um, it's all to, all to be seen, really, isn't it? Um, but uh, it, it should be ready to go, effectively. Um, and, yeah, I think uh, it won't be long before there are many manufacturers running around with ETCR cars and plenty of markets for them to race in. 
Well, awesome. Uh, thank you for coming on, Neil. And um, as I said earlier, uh, we'll next play my chats with Augusto Farfus. Augusto Farfus, thank you for joining me on the Motion E podcast. Um, so, uh, I, I, I was I was going to talk more generally about your career and about why you've decided to take part in Pure ETCR, but um, the thing you were just talking about there with with the other people in the room was quite interesting. So, uh, so we we've just had Super Final A, and uh, there were, there was an instant right at the end of the last lap, and um, you, you were you were describing there a reason why it may have happened, and uh, I, I I wonder. Um, just ge just generally, is that kind of excitement the reason why you joined ETCR? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, first of all, exactly what happened on the last on the f uh, super final, I cannot comment. I mean, mm -hmm. it was great for the show because you know we are all there expecting kind of a, a, a steady finish, and then certainly there was this great action from from Filippo over Ekstrom. So. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I better don't comment because I don't know. I, I, I was on the car. Of course, the car could have gone maybe on safety mode, probably to temperature or something. Could be. Uh, or he just took too easy the S and, and, and Filippi launched him. I don't know. But mm -hmm. uh, uh, the idea of Purity CR from the beginning was to change this image that electric is boring. I mean, unfortunately, uh, nowadays there is still this perception that electric cars, they taste like nothing because they don't have a noise. They, they are very smooth, how they accelerate. They are super fast, but they're very smooth. There is, no, uh, there is a lot of technology which kind of takes over a lot of uh, driver duties. And, and what we, we, we are trying to show here, it is, that is very true. There is a lot of technology involved, but this technology does not block uh, the show, does not stop the show. And, and the way we do the races here, very, very short, very, very intense, you never know who's going to win. This race, we, don't, we didn't have push to uh, power up, so we could not really see as many overtaking due to the track layout as well. But still, on the last lap, we saw a great move. So I think we are trying, and that's why I joined the championship, because I truly believe that electric cars are also fun. And more than that, the spectators, they are keen to see the show. If the car goes 500 grams an hour, or it goes only 100, what we want to see, it is a great battle. And I think that's what we are offering here. Oh, definitely. Um, and in, in terms of the formats, obviously it's not something that you've raced in before. I mean, um, you're, you're a very uh, storied touring car driver, and, and yet you've, you've never raced in a series where you've had one-on-one uh, -on -one battles, you've, you've had super finals like this. It's more of a rallycross-type format almost. Um, how, how much adaptation did that new format take you at the beginning, and how do you feel about it now? Well, uh, uh, adaptation, it is more on trying to adapt to the car. So uh, car is different and you have a moving target because every time you go on track, the track has changed. You have probably different tires. Uh, you have like the time trial with a different power input. So uh, there is so many variables on, on the weekend that it challenges the driver a lot. Specific to the racing itself, if you are racing against one car or racing against 25 cars, you always push maximum 
and you don't leave anything on the table. So for the driver's perspective on racing strategy, that is not much different than any touring car uh, around, uh, you just go and you push as hard as you can. And this, I think, it is the appeal of the championship. There is no managing, there is no strategy. The only strategy it is how to use the power up, but you have to go as hard as you can. So uh, the weekends are very short and this is difficult. We don't have a lot of free practice. So you end up going to the first battle with maybe six, seven, eight time-lapse. Uh, and this, it is puts an extra challenge uh, to the driver. But despite of that, uh, I'm loving. Well, you, you say you're loving it. Uh, may, maybe, maybe we can make a comparison with some of the things you've raced previously, because um, you, you have recently been part of, well, the previous version of DTM. <coughs> And um, that, that was very organised. You were in a large team of, uh, of manufacturer cars with BMW. This is obviously another manufacturer-backed team, and yet it's very different. What are some of the differences, and what are some of the things you like more, maybe some of the things you'd like to see in the future here? Well, first of all, I think uh, we, this championship we cannot compare to anything else. Like, uh, I always like to, 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 to state that Often people say, ah, is this like Formula E? No. Ah, so it's like Rallycross? No. This, it is a new way of doing motorsport. And it will need adaptation from the series itself. I mean, we are constant working and we are trying to understand what things will be changing next year. I'm sure there will be a long list of new, new uh, things on the table because we are trying to I won't say to reinvent motorsport, but to offer a different show of motorsport. And, and working on, on, on the manufacturer side uh, with the electric car, it is something different. It is different because the way we've been developing the car, it is very unique. I, I, I've been very lucky in my life to be able to develop many race cars, pretty much all the latest BMW race cars, combustion cars. Mm -hmm. I've been involved on the development process. So I have a lot of background, a, a lot of experience. But when we got to this car in specific, it was kind of starting from zero because we had Williams involved, which is a third party. And Williams had to do the work with us, with Seat and with uh, Romeo Ferrari. So there was a big cooperation among us and also approaching the weekend. Here we are doing a weekend with two cars and four drivers. We have to share cars. We have to share the seat position. We have to share the setup changes because there is no time to do a car for Giancarlo or a car for myself. So this championship has a little bit of endurance uh, feeling mixed with sprint racing because endurance is the same. I do a lot of endurance races. None of the race, the endurance cars I drive has a perfect seat position for me because it's a bit of a compromise. None of the endurance car has a perfect setup. Also applies to here. So uh, the job we are doing together with the team specific over the race weekend, it is also improving weekend by weekend because we are learning. We just got, let's say, the final car and the final uh, systems short before the first race. So we've been learning along the season how to optimize, but the same applies to the other ones. 
So uh, it is a constant moving target, also from the, 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 the development process, which makes everything very exciting. Uh, d definitely. And um, in, in, t in terms of the sustainability mission, I mean, obviously this is one of uh, now several electric forms of motorsport. You've got Formula E, which you've mentioned, and um, Extreme E as well. Um, what, what would you say that pure ETCR brings to people that those two forms do not, or brings to people in a different way? Well, I think it is pretty simple. We show them the cars they can potentially have at home. And, and, and we show a product which is designed by a manufacturer based on their road model. And there is no stronger link than that. Everyone has his own model. Everyone has his own uh, technology or his own way of building a race car. And, and, and of course, we are able to show many different ideas everyone pretty much on the same level and also we are able to to help the future because we are coming here we have uh, uh, different kind of generators to, to charge the cars the way the cars are charged the way the, that we use the tires we only have one tire for the whole for the whole time uh, we race in proper race tracks and that's I think it's also an important point to highlight because uh, the two series you just mentioned, they do, they race in something no one else has ever seen. And this I'm not saying is right or wrong, I'm just uh, uh, showing what the way I see. And we are racing, let's call normal race cars, as much as they could be called normal, in normal racetracks with an extreme performance because these cars are proper fast and we are ready to show the performance because we race in tracks together with different categories so we show people that we are not afraid to show the performance of our car and our car it is extremely fast it is as we always state the fastest touring car ever built and it is a proper beast if you drive a car of course there is all different kind of cars prototypes around the world they all have this their own challenges but these cars are proper fast and very difficult to handle. Um, and maybe maybe we could get some kind of an insight into the driving dynamics of the car, into what it's like to drive, compared to, say, a DTM car, or compared to, say, something in IMSA, for example, because um, it's heavier, like you said, it's got less downforce than some of the other cars I've mentioned, and um, it maybe uh, is a bit more difficult to get around a corner. Does that make it more fun to drive in some ways? Does that make it more difficult to drive? Uh, the statement fun to drive it is very relative because some think fun to drive it is a car which goes super fast in the corner some say fun to drive it is a car which goes super fast on the straight or some you know it, it, every single race car has its own characteristic and his own challenges you know uh, we drive the race car and me personally I drive the race car not specific for the fun it gives to me but for the challenge and i do this sport because i love the challenge you know, this is why I've chosen motorsport, because it's a moving target. And, and there is no perfect lap. Even the guy who's in pole position, Matthias Ekstrom did the fast lap of the day on the time trial. But I'm sure that's not a perfect lap. I'm sure if he redo that, he probably can shave something out. So, and this is what I, I like. And, and comparing to a DTM, DTM has a massive downforce. I mean, DTMs I used to drive. 
the corner speed it is miles uh, stronger than than uh, faster than this car but the acceleration of this it is also stronger we have kind of i won't call road legal tires but we have all weather tires which are very limited on grip so the room for mistake in these cars are very very small you go to imsa you drive a car a gt like in, in my case the gte cars which have is a factory program you have no abs you have factory tires so like confidential tires and so on but you have to say few and also that gives you a different challenge so uh, i feel difficult to compare every single car has its own characteristic and his own challenge and as i said that's why i'm a, i'm a lucky man to live from from what i love the most which is challenging a race car if I can just uh, uh, finish with a couple of questions generally about your career and, and how it's led to this. Um, you, you mentioned that you chose motorsports. So um, w was motorsport one of several options for sports that you were thinking about as a young man, perhaps? I, I mean, I, I've been raised in Brazil watching Senna. So, of course, it, it had a big impact in my life. Uh, my dad, it is a big car enthusiast. Uh, but there is a big difference in being a car enthusiast and a motorsport enthusiast. Because the car enthusiast is the guy who likes, I don't know, the Ferraris, Porsches, Lamborghinis, BMWs, Audis, whatever car, or, you know, he likes the car, the machine. And there is people who like the sport, the motorsport. And I belong to the second category. And often people end up mixing up these two opinions. I love motorsport much more than I love cars. I do love cars, but there is no comparison about my appreciation for the sport itself. And I can watch a race from old cars happening here with the same enthusiasm that I watch a Formula One or an IndyCar race because I like to see the sport. I like to see the man challenging the machine. It doesn't matter which cars are going around. And that's why my career started, because my dad was a car enthusiast, so he bought me a bike, a motorbike, and I want to go racing. My mom didn't want, so I tried pretty much all sports, soccer, because Brazil it's, but I have zero talent, I try karate, I try swim, I did a lot of uh, swim when I was young, uh, but none of them could convince. So I was very convinced from the beginning. I never had really a question. Uh, I had always a question, would I become a professional race car driver? Yes or no. But uh, I didn't have a second option in my career. And by now, the only thing I know in life is turning a steering wheel, because I've done this for the last 30 years. Uh, you've had some very exciting title fights in your career. Um, probably the one that, that made you um, um, obvious to, the, uh, to people, first of all, was when you were in that three-way fight with Prio and Jörg Muller, and you were in the old Alpha. Um, if you could speak to that young that younger driver now and give him some advice about uh, maybe how he approaches racing, how he approaches lifestyle, what would you say to that younger person? Uh, uh, many things. I mean, every single individual, if he look back to his life, he would have different opinions or he would have done things differently. Uh, but I do not regret anything I did in my life. And I'm on the, on the opinion that every decision taken it is the best decision 
and every decision I have taken in my life, I never look back and I never regret because I do my evaluation and I act accordingly. The guy which you saw back in 2004 with let's, let's call the old alpha fighting, he was brave, he was young, he was trying to show to the world that he was capable of, of, of doing something. I was kind of a, a unique, I had a kind of unique career because back in that time it was not normal that a former 3000 champion would, have, would migrate to small touring cars. And I did so. So that was a second motivation for me to prove that I was a guy who could drive anything, I mean, any car. And I jumped from front 3000 rear wheel drive to a front wheel drive car. Of course, I was very aggressive back in the time. I was a very tough racer. Uh, I can, if you decide to go to the more specific, of course, some races I could have said, ah, in that race, I should have done this or should have done that. But I think this is part of our learning process and uh, nothing I have done in my life. I, I have regret so far. Thanks God. Um, absolutely. And uh, just, just one final question as well. Um, your, your compatriot uh, in Formula E, Lucas Degrassi, uh, has um, led among racing drivers really in terms of his climate change campaigning, in terms of his clean energy campaigning. Uh, is that something that's important, do you think, for racing drivers in general to lead on? And um, does, it maybe, uh, does it maybe show the future of how drivers will speak and drivers will campaign? What I can say, I mean, everyone does what he thinks is right. I mean, Lucas, uh, besides everything, he's a very good friend. I mean, our kids, they play together. Uh, he has that vision. He, he, he does that very well, I have to say. He, he can promote that very well. He can promote himself very well with all that, uh, that, 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 uh, uh, that approach. Uh, some like to show what they do. Some like not to show and, and I do a lot of stuff which no one knows uh, just because I do for myself and I think in life we need always to go home look ourselves to the mirror and be proud from what we have done and I can proudly say that I'm uh, I always look myself to the mirror and I can smile so uh, I think in motorsport there was driver who do not care at all about the future a lot of drivers, they're just selfish or a driver drives like Lucas wants really to help. Nico Rosberg is also mm -hmm. joined that kind of that line. So I think we are here. There is enough stuff in the world to be improved and to be looked after. And I think that is if every single of us does a little bit for something, we can, we can turn into a better world. And uh, yeah, and I would like to see, and I'm sure many of us, many of us do as well, like me, I, I, try to, I do the stuff for myself uh, to try to, to have a better world. Well, uh, thank you so much. That's a good place to finish. So, Augusto, thank you very much. My pleasure. And um, good luck. Thank, thank you. you. I need. Thank you for listening to the Motion E podcast. Stay tuned for more Formula E and electric vehicle related content on this podcast, which you can follow on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and all great audio platforms.